because we're we're you know it's 2021 we're breaking barriers hello everyone and welcome to the interrogating podcast your weekly shot of typography news and notes where we'll be sharing with you some new type releases from the past week and what has got us thinking in the world of type design or creativity the interrogating podcast is an extension of proof and co website dedicated to the ever-changing landscape of independent typography and bridging the gap between type designers and type consumers through insightful content and research. I'm your host, Joshua Dick, along with interrogating co-host, the incredibly talented and committed type enthusiast, and a man who once bragged to me about watching every episode of the TV show Frasier, Kyle Reed. How are you today, Kyle? Doing great. Uh, that was not that long ago. You've been running uphill both ways? Uh, yeah. I assumed you did it to celebrate your 52nd birthday. I mean, how else do you celebrate besides Frasier? Kids these days are clamoring for their Frasier. It's not a bad TV show. Tough salad and scrambled eggs. Here in the Interrogang, we hope to simply serve as conversation starters, not the be-all, end-all if the topics discussed. Hopefully we'll pique your interest in topics that get you thinking about new things in exciting ways or old things in deeper ways. We will be referring to the Proof & Co. weekly newsletter in this and every episode, which you can subscribe to at proofco.xyz to use as a visual reference. Here we are. Now we are in week 17, 2021. Hello, everybody. Here are a few highlight font drops from the week 17, 17th week of 2021. Uh, I'd say the biggest release came from Switzerland. That's right, Grilly Type has released their long-awaited GT Maru. GT Maru is the result of a years-long design exploration of roundness. Inspired by construction site lettering and sign painting in Japan, and the more jovial nature that uh, rounded sans typefaces have in his local Swiss vernacular, designer Terry Blancpain has brought a new approach to the less trodden typographic genre of rounded sans. GT Maru comes as a collection of subfamilies, uh, normal, mono, monospace, uh, the super kawaii mega style, very Japanese, very cute. Uh, we'll talk about that and a collection of emojis. Um, this is actually a font that dives into emoji. Oh, no foozle. Oh, that's right. So this is an interesting release to me because of the matchup between the explanation of design inspiration uh, and the resulting fonts themselves. Uh, it's got a great story. On first glance, the rounded sands looks kind of regular, uh, perhaps like a Gotham rounded from Hofler, uh, Pantograph from Colophon Foundry, or Router from Nickel-type. All really great rounded sans typefaces. But once you take those variable font sliders to 11 all the way up, they reveal a pretty hefty, puffed up marshmallow version of the font, which is a fun and welcome expression. This is their mega style. Uh, that is just a, a really fun addition. Kyle, have you looked at GT Maru, their website on a mobile device? I have, yes. I think it works pretty well. It is Super impressive and totally bonkers. <laughs> but it is the, uh, there is so much work done on this website. Mm-hmm. dt-maru.com. Do it on your iPhone. Yeah. 
and you'll spend hours. It's really, I think really type does a fantastic job of their mini sites. They prioritize that with every single one of their releases, um, making, making it match the style of the type itself to help tell the story. Yeah, they really nailed it on this one. Seeing that the inspiration is kind of Japanese, uh, you know, writing systems and signs. So there's a, a chance for some really fun uh, animations and gifs. They are, they're kind of the typographic GIF masters, I'd say. Vocal Type has released VTC Ruby, which, in the opinion of this humble type fan, is an important piece of cultural work as much as a typographic one. Ruby is set is a set of layerable wood type shaded sand styles uh, that has its roots in a bit of a shameful history. Ruby is a revival design of a deplorable piece of typographic history, uh, and that would be. Uh, American type founders, Jim Crow. Yes, there was a typeface named Jim Crow. Vocal Type releases a very good write-up and ex explaining the history in depth. Uh, we won't go into it here, but they do this for all of their releases, and it's always an, a revealing and insightful and incredibly uh, educational uh, way into typography. Trey Seals, the designer, uh, has reclaimed this typeface and renamed it after Ruby Bridges, the six-year-old girl who was who bravely began the uh, integration of U.S. public schools during the civil rights era uh, in the U.S. Jim Crow South. So this is not only a good typeface, but uh, a typeface for good. I just I love the story behind this typeface and um, worthy of not just a purchase, but your your time and attention to learn about you know why this font came into being and um, you know, what, what it's all about. So something I absolutely love about the work being produced over at VocalType. Lastly, Panina is the latest release from Feliciano Type, type Foundry. Uh, Panina is a somewhat wide, relatively thin, pen-derived serif variable font with one contrast axis. So as of now, at the time of recording, there's one typeface weight released, but in this uh, variable font, format that plays with the contrast and spells out a range of presentations that closely resemble text and display styles. Um, designer Mario Feliciano did announce this week that he's planning on releasing more weights in the future, and you can get them all in a future font style buy-in plan. So you kind of buy the, the style now, and um, you know those weights will be sent to you along the way as they become available. Kind of cool to see that model starting to spread. So that's it from me. What about you, Josh? I believe you picked up on some big type news this week. We have breaking news again. Breaking. Except that it is in no way breaking. <laughs> Microsoft Office is changing its default font away from Calibri, and it is put up to a vote of you. Yes, you can vote. And that's actually a pretty big deal. Like it, it's it not as it doesn't sound that flashy or exciting, but that's actually a pretty big deal because of the amount of people that use Microsoft products, uh, just the role that it plays in people's lives. It's a, not not a small piece of news. For type normies like myself, Microsoft Office is the extent of typography for a lot of people. And so if Microsoft Office is changing what it's giving you as its default, you're, you're going to listen. <laughs> so Microsoft 
office, Microsoft is, is giving you the chance to vote on a new font. Uh, they have five new sans serifs that they're adding to the collection that you can use on Microsoft Office with the intent that one of these five will become the new default. And this is a big deal, as Kyle said. Uh, Calibri became the font, the default font in 2007, replacing Times New Roman, which Times New Roman was the default since time immemorial. <laughs> Pretty much since you were typing on a computer, Times New Roman is what they wanted you to use once they had enough pixels for it. So they have narrowed it down. The five that they are adding are Beerstadt, Grandview, Seaford, Skeena, and Tenorite. And you have the option to vote for your favorite of the five. What do you think about this, Kyle? Yeah, I think this is awesome. Um, I have a lot of thoughts about this whole thing. Uh, just to be clear, the the winner will be the will replace the default. However, all five are still being added to Microsoft Word, right? Yeah, correct. Um, yeah, to me, this is awesome. This is a big deal. This is like uh, like if the New York Yankees drafted players once every fifteen years. Uh, there's you know this is the opportunity to get the in pool of only five players. Um, yeah, to me, there is so much talent behind these five typefaces. Uh, they tapped some incredible designers, uh, Aaron McLaughlin, um, Steve Madison, John Hudson. I mean, these are pretty storied designers. They have legacies in type already. Um, Tobias Frere-Jones, along with Nina and Fred Shawcross, I think uh, designing Seaford, I think that that is a great move on, on Microsoft's front, um, on Microsoft's part, just to tap into the some of the best working type designers out there today so they have a chance to get into the lore and legend of the microsoft word drop down menu um and we'll be hearing about these fonts for a long time coming uh kyle have you have you had a chance to look at these options yes right and although i i really hope that they release an additional way to look at them because a lot of the typefaces are just on these uh kind of flash style looking single images and you can't really get a sense of the typefaces themselves. Uh, if you would be so kind as to share, what would you vote for? But also, if different, what do you think is going to win? Uh, I personally lend my vote to Seaford by uh, TFJ. Um, it's a, kind of, to me, the, one of the most unique typefaces in there. It has a point of view that's different than a lot of other people. And it's totally unexpected for something you would find in Microsoft Word. Um, it's expertly drawn, expertly programmed and developed. I think it's looking pretty nice. But I, I do think... Yeah, Microsoft hates being expert. <laughs> I do think Tenorite might take the, take the cake. But honestly, all five are pretty good to the point where I'm glad they'll all be in... Microsoft Word providing different levels of expression. I think it's great. I think my vote would go to Grandview. I think it's ooh cool. It's just You're to a me, it's the flat-sided round person. Yeah, and it's it just looks really clean. It looks really without being too simple. It looks very just. It it seems like a good solid default choice. But I I agree with you. Something about Tenorite just looks like what Microsoft is going to go for. 
it's also the most neutral so we'll see um yeah grandview by aaron bell uh kind of a a real showstopper there too a great great uh, addition to the the microsoft palette it's definitely great it's definitely great that these five are going to be that they get the showcase to be showcased and they're going to be on microsoft office so they're going to be the next big thing cool i think that's great josh i'm very curious how people in non-design circles uh will end up using these fonts you know the uh PowerPoint presentations, the Microsoft Office reports. I mean, it's just, uh, it can do a lot of good and make a pretty substantial change in the world. Well, gentle listeners, Google this, look it up, and let us know. What do you think? If you're a non-type person, we want to hear from you. Bring it on. Let us know. This week, we want to talk about experimentation when it comes to type design. Uh, This is a pretty big topic and it can relate, of course, to just about any creative endeavor. We're going to obviously talk about it through the lens of type design. But when you're creating something new, you're trying to push the boundaries, you're trying to figure out what works. And sometimes you've got to push pretty hard to figure that out. But... How worthwhile is that endeavor? So here, we're going to talk a little bit about what it means to experiment with a type design and put out into the public what might be what might seem too crazy or too weird for the sake of experimentation. So Kyle, just off the bat, what's, what are your thoughts when it comes to a type designer who puts out something into the world that is there solely for the purpose of seeing what we can and can't do? Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of value in that for me. Um, I, I like how this conversation kind of stems out of our originality conversations. Uh, just just saying, where do ideas come from, and and um, you know, how can you truly be original uh, in a world where there are so many versions of the thing that you are already producing? Um, to me, experimentation is the best vehicle to get out of the rut of everything looking the same or uh, general, like producing something that would be expected. Um, Experimentation is essential and needed. And uh, we've seen a lot of typefaces in the last five years that have have been born out of a intense experimentation process. Uh, And it's just starting to have an effect on, on the general aesthetic of type these days. I think the difficult thing is the question of how much do you make that public facing? Right. How much how much do you show the sausage being made as it were? Because when you're putting something out there when you're putting something out for sale mm. per se, you need to be considering the business side uh while you're also considering your personal design fulfillment and the type history you don't want to be derivative and that can be very difficult, obviously. Indeed. And when you're talking about type, which we every week we refer to this, is it art? Is it a tool? So we're going to stop saying that we're going to talk about it. We're always talking about it. If you're talking about this tool that has a very noticeable and meaningful purpose, it's hard to, for me sometimes, to sell 
something that's totally off the wall because it's a part of experimentation. Case in point, in 2019, I believe, Nouvelle Noir came out. Nouvelle Noir, I would like to read, this was a, a release, I'd like to read a little bit of the description. This is just a, a selection of the description. Nouvelle Noir is probably the blackest and most unreadable typeface out there. Nouvelle Noir has no ambitions in terms of conciseness or of legibility and functionality. It's simply a result of the joyful play and should animate to try to use it in lustful designs. And it also goes on to say, exploration besides the given paths is an important component of any type of design and a driving force for creativity. So this is right in the pocket of what we're talking about. And I encourage everyone to go look at it. It is just black blobs that are <laughs> vaguely uh, letter shaped. That are yeah, that are vaguely implying the letter that that you'll eventually you know they're in order, so you can figure it out. And they are saying there's no use for this. There's it is not legible. It has no function. We wanted to we wanted to see how far can you push and you make an ink blot look like a letter. And I I. Until it's just, you know, until it's too crazy. And so I agree with you, Kyle, that that's an important step. But when you put it out, when you put it out for sale, where is the line into bad business sense? I think uh, the better question to ask is where is the value in releasing a product like that? Um Perhaps that's not really a business play for them, right. but they're making a, a broader point about what is a font, mm -hmm. it, just at its core, at a core existential question. <laughs> and um, you know, why not kind of define a typographic product as something like this? The value added by having that kind of experimentation put out there, even if it's not typically defined as useful, I think it's... it's huge you 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 need to be able to put that out there um the blobs thing is is cool though i actually really like that that approach of just putting something wild out there and, and i totally agree with you i just think there's a conversation to be had for uh cost benefit balance between that because there's time spent that's there's... true i mean if their entire catalog was illegible blobs Lack of a better word. You might have to rethink your approach. <laughs> <laughs> one day, one day, well, illegible blob type foundry. And I do think there's also a difference when what you're talking about is a means to an end. Mm -hmm. This description is very clearly saying, we wanted to try this. So now we know. And it becomes a, a, a knowledge point for the future. If you don't have an end to your wacky means you can get too weird and just be weird for weird sake and i guess for me that falls flat absolutely i can see this blob typeface from nouvelle noir um informing a design like we've seen a, a few of lately this kind of puffed up big swollen thing you'd be like oh i from that experiment i learned that you know you can only go so far. I'm going to put that into this typeface. Right, right. Uh, like that sounds like a worthy uh, use for your ex experiment. Um, there are a lot of typefaces out there that I guess you could just barely call them typefaces because they're they're 
even patterns. Uh, Emma Gray is famous for just having a, some crazy tiled patterns. That's fun. It's still a font. Um, it's just this experimental process. So uh, right. maybe the value for them was in the process of designing it and not necessarily the result. Um, I don't know. I think, uh, yeah, the experimentation side of things can lead to different forms of value. Right. I don't think there's any way you can argue that that kind of experimentation does not have value. It it certainly does. Yeah, this this conversation reminds me of uh, some movements in graphic design that have been happening lately. Uh, the uh, there's been a couple of of schools of thought in Europe where it's not really even about legibility or communication. It's about aesthetic, and it's just wackiness all over the place. Um, you could point to David Carson and his work uh, as not really being about communication in the typical way, um, but through experimentation, you found a higher plane of uh, kind of relating to a subject matter. Um, and even here in the States, uh, the Yale School, I was so f-ed off by the Yale School. All the cardinal sins of typography were just committed. They're all there on paper. And I slowly learned after that, that it, it was really about the process of experimentation to get away from any kind of established norm and to learn something about yourself in relation to the the process um, that you can then bring to more clear graphic design down the road. Um, I thought that was redeeming. I do think someone could look at these black blobs and say they didn't do a good job when that's not the case. And that's, I think, a, there is a great danger to putting experimentation out into the public. And I don't know if it's danger, but also it's hard for even a trained eye to be critical enough to be able to identify. Was that someone who was committing those cardinal sins or were they trying something more sophisticated? Right, right. What metric and yardstick are you using to measure these things? I think that's also why we we put typefaces up against a public, uh, a buying public, a open market. Um, that's one way to at least measure the a success of a typeface. Um, it's not the only way to measure it, but um, you know, if you're experimenting and you want to know if that experiment was successful, an open market, an, an economy like um, the one we have for type is not a bad way to kind of get the vote of the people, if you will. Yeah, we haven't gotten too deep into the business of type in any of these episodes yet, but it is true that type has a fairly robust international market for these kind of things. I would be curious to see what kind of sales Nouvelle Noir has received in the past two years. (laughs) Uh, I think that would be quite eye-opening. I agree. It's probably worth getting uh, uh, future fonts and their... Um, kind of experience in presenting unfinished and uh, experimental typefaces going in the way that they have. Uh, there's probably some real insights there. On Bless you, Kyle, bringing it back to future fonts, my favorite, my my amore. You know, you got to love, again, not a sponsor, but we are a fan. Not a sponsor, but <laughs> I'll, uh, you know, future fonts, call me. You talk about the perfect place and where experimentation is happening and fonts that are put out into the world with the intent, where is this going? What's next? Talk to us. Tell me. 
mm-hmm. use it a little, what works, what doesn't I would like to build and grow. I think it's one of the only ways that typo- typography uh, moves forward is uh, you know the daringness to experiment and the um, you know commitment that it takes to put that out there as a finished design. Uh, it's the engine that that drives typography forward. To be honest, you you can't just put something out there and say done forever. It's perfect. It's very rare that that happens. We are none of us perfect. We are all version 0.1 on future fonts right now. (laughs) Just looking for some comments. Just looking for some feedback. Use us and get back to us. That's it for this week's Interrogate. Special thanks to Andrew Spiris, as always, our editor and all things tech master. Original music featured throughout this episode was composed by Andrew Spirits as well. The Interrogang podcast can be found on our website, proofco.xyz slash podcast, as well as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and just about anywhere you find your podcasts. If you want to receive more type news and notes, head to our website and subscribe to the weekly newsletter. Follow us on Twitter at proof underscore and underscore co, or email us at hello at proofco.xyz. If you have any questions for us or thoughts on what we discussed in any of our episodes, or if you're feeling like a black blob that only vaguely resembles a letter, we'd love to hear from you. As always, thanks for being a part of the Interrogang. We'll see you next week. Josh is a, a wild card on this podcast. He is, he's either Shatner or, uh, <laughs> or all things considered, or uh, Comedy Central roast. Right. Well, that's it for this week's interrogating. <laughs> Josh, you're fantastic. You're doing such a great job, little buddy.